morning, everyone. Short reading this morning. I'm sure we all appreciate that. Uh, three little verses. Well, welcome to New Life Sunday service. Um, man, can you believe we are five months into the year already? It's already May. You know, we're going to be in 2023 in no time. My name is Young, lead pastor here at New Life, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to the Sunday service. Uh, we gather to glorify God in the gospel of grace here at New Life. And as mentioned by Minju, we've been in a sermon series called Loving the Outsider, uh, examining the book of Ruth. And in recent weeks, we've seen uh, the way that we as humanity plan and scheme and try to get things working out exactly the way that we would like it to work out versus the way that God divinely provides uh, on our behalf. We've also seen how hearts that are touched by the grace of God result in the fruit of good works and a transformed character. And most of all, we've talked about how God loves the insider gone out and the outsider never invited in. Now, although we only have three verses today, um, here's where we're headed today, okay? So it, the three verses are kind of in form uh, our th previous three chapters. And so you will have to kind of think back over the th uh, previous three chapters. But basically where we're headed, we're looking at marriage and finding a spouse in light of what Ruth and Boaz did. If you're not at that stage in life, that's okay. You know, you can just think about it for the future. Within this love story as well, we'll see the greater love story underlying. And finally, uh, we're gonna take a look at what the fruit of this love uh, must be. Uh, before we get into this sermon, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, as we gather together and as we uh, prepare to unpack your word, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would do all the work, you would do all the heavy lifting for us, that you would speak to us in a way that we can understand uh, through the preparation that's been uh, completed, and at the same time, that you would prepare our hearts and our ears to listen and to receive what it is that you have for us. We long to be transformed. We want to be a transformed people. We want to display fruit in our lives, God, and we want to have transformed characters that point people to the love of Christ. We would love, Lord, for our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors to be transformed the way that you have transformed us, to experience the surpassing beauty of our God. We want, Lord, for our heart's cry to be that we would like to dwell in your house for all the days of our lives. We'd love to gaze upon your beauty to think upon you, to seek you, and to glorify you. So we pray, Lord, that that can start today, this morning, as we gather together for your word. Help us, Lord, to gather around your word, and help us, Lord, to encourage one another, challenge one another in faith uh, through these words. May we seek you, may we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. What happened, Ruth? This is how we start this week, as Naomi asks Ruth about what took place uh, the previous night. So if you remember, she sent Ruth over to uh, Boaz in the middle of the night, and so she's asking, what happened? But there's a little bit lost in translation here. It's like when I'm watching a K-drama or some sort of Korean show with my family. Their Korean's a little bit better than mine, and so I find that they laugh at things that I don't laugh at and I'm kind of sitting there just 
kind of looking at them, and then I try to laugh along with them, so I fit in, but it doesn't quite work. I'm still reading the subtitles. So Naomi's question takes on an interesting nuance when you look at the original language that was used. In Hebrew, Naomi is asking, who are you, my daughter? Oftentimes in life, we tend to define ourselves by our relationship to others. Whether it's in relation to a significant other, as some of us have, or to a parent, or even to a job, our studies, whatever it might be, we tend to define ourselves by these relationships. Should we be defined by relationships? The question of identity, it is deeply intertwined with what we do, with who we're in relationship with, those that we're close to, those that we give of ourselves in relationship. It's inevitable, it happens. You know, if you think about the most defining relationship of all that we talk about here at church, it's our relationship with God, and as we give of our lives and our hearts completely to Him, it rewrites our identity. It transforms who we are. And so our relationship defines who we are. We become children of God. So what's Naomi actually asking here when she says, who are you, my daughter? And Naomi has struggled with this question for quite some time. Who are you, Ruth? She's struggled with this very question throughout all of the previous chapters, all the time that they've been together since they were together in Moab. Is she an outsider? Is she just the Moabitess that came uninvited with her to Bethlehem? Is she someone that she's desperate to be rid of? Someone who reminds her of the cursed land that she entered of her own volition where she lost everything. Who are you, Ruth? Has she been changed by the passing of the night with Boaz? Is the question on our mind. Is this a relationship that's about to change her identity in some way? And if so, who are you, my daughter? Is Ruth the one who's now gonna provide Naomi with that significance and that status that was taken away from her in Moab? Is she gonna have the provision of a son that's gonna carry on her lineage in the history of God's people? This is the question that's on her mind. Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So Ruth relays to her mother-in-law, recalls everything that happened the night before, which we saw last week, and she ends by telling her that Boaz gave her these six measures of barley so that she wouldn't go back to Naomi empty-handed. Have you ever noticed when you're reading a book, when you're watching a TV show or a movie, where a particular word gets used a few times in different scenes, and it stands out, you know, it sticks out to you. Something is being signified when this happens. And as you take notice, it causes you to review in your own mind, to think about the previous times that this word was used, to reflect on maybe the continuity of the meaning between these two different scenes, or maybe it rewrites the meaning for you because it contrasts so much. And this feels like English class, right? Like, but this is kind of what goes on in my mind as a empty-handed, okay? Empty-handed. Here, it's the same word in Hebrew 
that Naomi used to describe herself all the way back in chapter one, where she told the townspeople, God brought her back to Bethlehem empty. She blames God for her emptiness, and this is the same word that was used. But here, at the end of chapter three, through Ruth and Boaz, she's being shown that she isn't empty. That if she was emptied, she's being filled with something far greater. God has provided food for her and for Ruth in their hunger. He's been with them this whole time. God has provided rest for her in her wandering. And now, that final question that's on our mind, will she have any descendants in the land? Will Ruth provide a seed for her as symbolized in that gift of barley that Boaz gave to her, the bundle of seed, so that Ruth wouldn't go back to her mother-in-law empty? As we asked at the end of chapter two, and as we asked at the end of last week, what will God do next? Speaking of movies, um, Bora and I, when we you know, have any time these days, like to watch romantic comedies together. But I know, just like I just did to you guys a little while ago, I get a little bit too analytical sometimes with these movies. You can't do that with romantic comedies. Okay, I have to switch that part of my brain off for a little while, otherwise no one's gonna enjoy the movie. Because a lot of these movies are quite similar. Have you noticed this? These romantic comedies are quite similar. Their covers even look similar, you know? Usually, it features two characters that are at odds with one another. They're from two different parts of town, very different from one another. And then there's some sort of misunderstanding that brings them together, but simultaneously, it's like opposites. They're like, ah, oh, can't stand this person. Drives them apart at the same time. And then in the end, things work out. There's a happily ever after. Usually filled with hijinks, lots of stuff, right? There's not a lot of room for diversity in these types of stories. In romantic comedies, there's not a lot of room for diversity. There's not a lot of great character development. And so usually, even their looks are quite similar from movie to movie. They're quite unoffensively attractive people, usually. Because you want to look at them, right? You know, you watch for the aesthetics, as uh, someone said to me recently. They're fairly vanilla 20 to 30-somethings. And they're usually not our race either. Now, if the love story of Ruth and Boaz were in the form of a romantic comedy, what would you expect from these two principal characters? What we have between them is so unconventional, to say the least. These are two very odd leading characters for a love story. We know, first of all, Boaz is pretty old. He's relatively old according to what we heard last week in Ruth chapter 3, verse 10. We know also Ruth could work all day in the blistering hot sun, hardly any breaks. She's like this workhorse, you know? Ruth 2.7 tells us this. And then Ruth 3.15 tells us that she's able to carry home on her back 36 kilograms of grain. I don't know if I could do that, right? Like, this is like 
you know, if you've seen Encanto. Like, anyway, the two of them don't sound exactly like who we would expect to see in a typical romantic comedy, in a typical love story. This is not a typical love story. But what they're looking for isn't a Hollywood romance. They haven't been discipled in the way of Hollywood like we have. It isn't a modern-day passionate fling that they're looking for. Boaz commends Ruth for her kindness in not pursuing younger men. Ruth herself is looking for someone who's going to extend the kindness of God to her and to her mother-in-law to give them rest, to give them a future. These are the things that they're concerned with. They commit to one another because of character. Now, what do we look for today? For our singles that are here, there's quite a lot of us, right? What are the things that you think about when you imagine your future spouse? When you look for someone that you can date, someone that you can marry one day, what are the things that you look for? Think about those things. For our married couples, there's a few of you guys in here as well, what are the things that you desired prior to marriage? And what are the things that still matter to you today? What attracts you? Okay? When we talk about a life of discipleship here at New Life, when we talk about heart transformation, the things that attract us must also be discipled and transformed. Because it's good to be attracted, okay? Don't get me wrong. You should be attracted to your future spouse. If you, like, it doesn't make sense for you not to be attracted, right? But the question is, what attracts us? Physical appearance is not everything. Ruth and Boaz are telling us. We see it here in their story. We see it in Proverbs 31 as well. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. You know, here in Proverbs, King Lemuel's uh, mother is advising him to seek a wife who fears the Lord. Discard the other stuff. Don't seek charm and beauty, which are here for only a moment. Once the makeup's off, once age catches up, we all look pretty similar. Now, Ruth and Boaz, they seek out character, the kindness of God, humility, and a willingness to serve. As Ruth committed herself to serving her mother-in-law, as she committed herself to God, and as Boaz overflowed with the grace and mercy and love of God in all that he did, what we see behind this is that God has not withheld from them. He's been there with them the whole time. He's even providentially brought them together in the most extreme, unexpected of circumstances. So when Boaz says to Ruth, there's a redeemer closer than I am, our anxiety doesn't spike. We don't feel worried that there might be an unhappy ending. It's not just because Boaz's guarantee that he'll redeem her if the other redeemer doesn't, but it's because God has not withheld but has rather provided, and surely we know he'll do it again. 
we know the answer to that question, what will God do next? He's consistent in his character. He's provided all this time, will he not provide again? Now, we're awaiting the final chapter of Ruth. You know, it's coming. And we're kind of waiting to, uh, to find out the identity of this mystery redeemer whose family relation to Elimelech is closer than Boaz's. But let's remember in the midst of this who truly provided and redeemed thus far. He's the one who brought them to Bethlehem from Moab. He's the one who made sure Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. And he's the one who filled up their emptiness. Now, if we consider these things, then all of a sudden, Ruth or Boaz's declaration that there's a redeemer closer than I am takes on new meaning to us. It's not just about this family member who happens to be closer to Elimelech than he is. All throughout the story, there has indeed been a redeemer closer than Boaz. There's been a redeemer for both Naomi and Ruth, just tantalizingly out of our field of vision. You know, the book of Ruth hasn't come out, come right out and said, God did this, but he's been there. He's been working through and behind all human characters. He's calling out to his beloved, all these wanderers, those who least deserve it, but most need him. The real love story in this book is not about Boaz and Ruth. I'm sure you expected this, being in church on a Sunday morning. Just like the real love story in our lives is not about us. We can spend all of our lives looking for that. But let me tell you, the real love story is behind the scenes. The love of God for the insider gone out and the outsider never invited in. It's this love that manifested itself in his long-suffering patience with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's this love that chose an unworthy Abraham and continued to rescue his rebellious descendants. And it's this love that continues on in the cycles of the judges, as we've seen in this book, bringing rest and relief to very idolatrous and disingenuous people. And this is the love that continues to pursue us still in the modern day, today, this morning, this is the love that continues to pursue us, making sure that we just so happen to end up in this godly community, surrounded by godly people who encourage and challenge us, and perhaps even, yes, providing a godly spouse that we can do life with. But again, the real love story goes deeper than just the providence of our lives here and now. Because this love is at its fullest in the coming of Jesus Christ. We know this, we talk about this, the gospel of grace. His love for us took him beyond this pile of grain at midnight. It caused him to leave his father's house to come down and live in poverty. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem where he found no rest, no refuge, no protector for him. Ruth risked her safety to go to Boaz, but Christ gave his life for us, going outside that we could be brought inside. Now, as Boaz was changed by the covenant love of God, 
as the fruit of the grace of God was found in Ruth's humility and her servanthood, as God's providence showed fruit in Naomi's life as well as she began to change. What now for us? What about us here and now? What is the fruit of God's covenant love in our lives? Boaz commended Ruth for not seeking out other suitors. Are we to be commended then for seeking out Jesus, though he was in life, disfigured beyond recognition, as Isaiah tells us? And in our lives today, he might sometimes seem a little bit less attractive than the greener pastures that we obsess over, whether that be a physical love in our lives, whether that be a job that we're just dying for, whether that be creature comforts that we obsess over. As Ruth sought out Boaz to extend kindness to her, the kindness of God to her, are we willing to admit as well that we can't do it on our own and that we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to cover over us as she so meekly requested of Boaz? Now this chapter, chapter three of the book, presents Ruth risking her life to try and secure her future and Naomi's future as well. And that begs the question of us. What are we willing to risk? What are we willing to risk new life? In our lives, we do all sorts of things. We risk all sorts of things for the sake of having fun mostly, being entertained, but we also do it to further our careers, to have a family, to have comfort for our family. These are the risks that we take in our lives. We're willing to do all sorts of things and give up all sorts of other things for what we think will bring us satisfaction. So what are we willing to risk for the gospel of grace? Have we been truly transformed by God's covenant love to the point that we can point to the fruit of our changed lives, our transformed hearts, and our evangelism to our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors. This is the overflow of the fruit in our lives. Now these are the questions that we have to wrestle with. Okay, don't guilt trip yourselves over this, but wrestle with this question with God. As we re reach the halfway point to the second half of our series in Loving the Outsider, there are outsiders in our midst as well. We can welcome them. We can love them. And then there are those that have never been invited in. You know them in your lives. You know who they are. Invite them. Now we see the risk that God takes. It's the social, spiritual, physical suffering and death that his son Jesus subjects himself to, all for the sake of the glory of God and to make a way for us to be invited in. In the communion, we see clearly what this invitation looks like. So on the night that he was betrayed, he gathered his disciples near to him and broke bread with them, inviting in the outsiders into his midst. And as the Lord Jesus ordained it, so we also carry it out today, that we might picture his redemption and invitation to unworthy sinners that we might proclaim the Lord's death until his return. God's forgiveness is made available to all who would recognize their need for his grace. 
everyone who recognizes their need for his grace. Through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, this redemption and welcoming in are made possible to all of us. So as Boaz gave his word to Ruth that he would redeem her, so what we partake in today is a sign and a seal of the redemption that we have in Jesus, that Christ has guaranteed to us. And by you participating in this, you turn your back on all other so-called greener pastures, all other loves in your lives, placing Jesus as above all and in all, in all that we do in life and in death. And in this, you testify of your faith in Jesus alone, in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross for your sake. So what is the communion? First of all, the communion is an act of remembrance. We look back into the past to what Jesus did in gratitude, refusing to forget or turn away from what he did. Second, the communion is a declaration of our continued dependence on him. The present day reality is that just as the gospel of grace was all we need for salvation, we declare that it's still all we need for a life of holiness. We need his grace, not our works. And so we receive of the body and the blood of Jesus as an act of grace. And finally, the communion is a glimpse into the future. The future reality is we look forward to the day that is coming. We know it is coming. The marriage supper of the Lamb at his glorious return when there will be no more outside for us. There will only be inside when the greatest love story will be proclaimed by everyone in existence. Here at New Life, we celebrate communion on the first Sunday of each month. I'm happy that we get to say that again. Let this not become just routine or dead orthodoxy, but allow the Holy Spirit to move and transform your hearts through what we do today, that you may love Jesus more and more. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As you heard in God's word there, the communion is for those that follow Jesus. If you're not a follower of Christ, please do not take the communion as you would only be drinking judgment upon yourself. If, however, through our service today, through our prayers, our praise, your eyes were open to Jesus as your savior, then we welcome you into the family. You aren't outside anymore. So partake together with us at the table, and we ask that you would make yourselves known to us at the end of the service. Now for followers of Jesus, the communion is for those that are not under current church discipline, for those that are not living in unrepentant sin. So the command is, Examine yourselves before coming forward to receive the communion. And if you live in, in faith, in repentance, then by all means, come forward to receive the communion.
because it's only by His grace that you're saved. And New Life's ministry directors are already gathered here and they'll be at the front of each aisle. And we'll also have one who will be attending to the serving volunteers here on stage, in the multimedia room, in children's ministry, and also the parents that are in the parents' room. They're all coming over here anyway. We also have a gluten-free station as well for those with allergies. So that's the closest station to the parents' room. Uh, these are limited in number, so we do ask that you would refrain from them if you don't have allergies. Uh, give them to those that have dietary needs first. But please do come forward as soon as you're ready to receive the communion and then take it back to your seats and wait for everyone to be served so that we can take it together, that we might declare our love for Jesus together. Okay, so if the ministry directors want to come forward, and when you're ready, come forward and receive the communion. You can open the first layer there. This is his body, which is for you. You can take of the bread and eat. You can go ahead and open that second layer. This cup is a new covenant in his blood.
Let's pray together. Father, we receive of your grace and we're thankful for this means of grace in our lives that we can come forward, that we can take part in this act, this ordinance, this sacrament, that not only reminds us of what you did through your son Jesus in that supreme act of grace, but it's a sign and a seal of the grace, the redemption that we have guaranteed in you. Sometimes we fear, sometimes we have anxiety in our bones that tells us, Lord, that we're not good enough. But the beautiful truth is that we're reminded through this act that your son was good enough. It's in the good news of his grace that we find our salvation. He promises us redemption and he has delivered it. And we know, Lord, that the continuing promise of redemption at the end of our days, of holiness, of our perseverance until the very end is guaranteed in him. So help us, Lord, to receive it with gratitude. Help us, Lord, with grace to turn to you in our need and to ask you to cover over us. And we know, Lord, that you'll do it. We know, Lord, as we look forward to that future day of his return, that our future is guaranteed with him. We're set, we're secure, we find our rest and our refuge in him. And so we ask, Lord, that you would increase grace in our hearts, that you would help us, Lord, to seek you, to love you, to be transformed by you, to exhibit fruit in our lives, and to do it all for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.